I'm Kim Spence, the Speed's curator of prints, drawings, and photographs. In Norman Rockwell's study for breaking home ties, we see a father and son seated side by side on the running board of an old pickup truck. Rockwell created this drawing in preparation for the cover of the September 25, 1954 issue of the Saturday Evening Post. He was so devoted to accuracy in his paintings that he wanted to make sure that he got every detail right. This drawing is on loan to the speed from the Eskenazi Museum of Art at Indiana University. The father is a wrinkled and weather-beaten rancher. He's dressed in denim work clothes. He looks tired as he slouches down, his elbows resting on his knees. And he has a pensive expression on his face as he glances toward the right. An unlit cigarette dangles from between his lips and he holds a match in the fingers of his right hand. He's so lost in his own thoughts that he's forgotten to light a cigarette. Unlike his father, the boy is alert. His chin is raised, his posture erect, and he looks expectantly past his father at something in the distance. You get a real sense that he's waiting for something. Unlike his father's worn work clothes, the boy wears a brand new pinstripe suit and a garish tie that hangs slightly askew as if he's not quite used to wearing such fancy clothes. In his lap, he cradles a brown bag lunch, lovingly tied up with a ribbon. And between his feet is a suitcase with books stacked on top. He's waiting for a train that will carry him off to college. Nearby sits the boy's faithful collie, its chin resting woefully on the boy's knee. You could just imagine its canine sigh. The dog seems to sense the boy's imminent departure, and its mournful pose says everything that the father just can't bring himself to express. Norman Rockwell was a master storyteller. He had this remarkable way of distilling a subject down to include only what was absolutely necessary to tell a story. Everything that was included was an essential element that guided the viewer's understanding. Working as a magazine illustrator, he realized that a cover image had to be eye-catching and visually appealing to make the consumer want to buy the magazine. But the image also had to be immediately understandable. Cover images for magazines like the Saturday Evening Post were not illustrations for articles or short stories. They stood on their own. And as such, their subjects, their stories, had to be clear and concise. Every element in this composition was included because it helped Rockwell tell the story of the boy and his father. For example, they're seated on the side of a running board of an old pickup truck. This is makeshift seating. There was nothing else around. We know that this drawing has been cut down. It was originally larger and included a small section of train tracks along the bottom and a kerosene lamp and a conductor's flag lying on the large trunk on the left. This was a whistle stop. There was no train station where they are. The father just parked his truck along the side of the tracks. When he saw the train approaching, he would have waved the flag to let the engineer know that someone, his son, wanted to board the train. This detail tells us a lot about the father and the son and their life on a rural ranch. But this kind of physical isolation also sets the tone for the emotional isolation we perceive between the father and the son. Another way that Rockwell sets the tone and tells the story is by setting up a series of contrasts between the father and the son. Notice the postures of the two figures. The father seems weary. He leans forward, his elbows braced on his legs. Compare this to the son. He sits tall and erect and his arms tight against his body. His father seems weary where the boy seems alert and eager. But notice the hands. The boy's hands are like his father's. Those are laborers' hands. The son may be heading off to college, but he's used to hard work. 
The truck forces everything to the front of the picture plane. This focuses our attention on the main characters, with little opportunity for your eye to wander to a non-existent background. So what are some of the details that Rockwell included that helps tell the story? First of all, there's the suitcase. That tells us that the boy is going somewhere. He's leaving home. And notice the books on top. There are bookmarks inside. The boy is so eager to go off to college that he's already started his reading assignments. The lunch he holds in his hand is tied up sweetly with a ribbon. His mother's got him all set to go. In his pocket of his suit is his train ticket. And notice the dog. It's not just there to speak about loyalty, but the fact that it's a collie is also important. Around this time, the collie was one of America's favorite breeds of dog. But when it first was imported into America, it was a herding dog. This is a working dog. This just reminds the viewer that these are ranchers. These are hard workers. Even the type of dog that they choose as a family pet speaks to their livelihood. Rockwell once described breaking home ties as autobiographical. He was feeling a bit of the empty nest syndrome himself in 1954 when he made this drawing. His oldest son, Jerry, had joined the Air Force, and his two younger sons were heading off to college. He said he wanted to make breaking home ties to indicate and to represent what a father feels when his son leaves home. In 1955, Saturday Evening Post readers voted breaking home ties one of their favorite cover illustrations in the magazine's history. I think this was because Rockwell touched on a subject that held universal appeal. Whether you're a child leaving for summer camp, a father seeing his son off to college, or a mother anticipating her child's next military deployment, we've all had to say goodbye to someone we love. Hi, my name is Charlie Carr. I work in guest relations at the front desk here at the Speed Art Museum. Like a little bird, you need to learn how to fly and leave the nest on your own. So spoke my mother while preparing me for the first day of kindergarten. This would be the first of my preludes to homesickness. At age 12, I was driven to the train station for a two-day ride to summer camp in northern Minnesota. All I wanted to do that summer was stay home and ride my bike and fish and swim with my friends. Luckily, I knew a few of the kids on the train, and we commiserated about our lousy luck. As it turned out, I had the best summer ever while at camp. After sophomore year of high school, my father decided I wasn't living up to my potential and that it would be good for me to go east for prep school. I flew by myself, and after a long day, I eventually got to the school full of strangers. Upon arriving, it was a chilly, damp evening, and I remember shedding tears in the dimly lit phone booth during my first call home. Fast forward several years, and I was now the father of two children of my own. My son had the opportunity to go to scout camp with some classmates one summer. We sign him up, drop him off at the bus, and get a phone call about six hours later, and he's crying and pleading, may he please come home. My wife and I hesitated and bickered about the best course of action, and I finally got in the car and drove to get him. He and I both shed a few tears on the way home, and to this day I'm not sure we made the correct decision. But eventually the kids got wings and flew the nest. My name is Mary Pike. I have been a docent at the Speed Museum since 1993. 
This is a letter written to my 25-year-old son, Randy, who was leaving for a year-long deployment to Afghanistan with the U.S. Army. September 6, 2009. Dear Randy, Well, I'm not sure what a mother is supposed to say to her son when he leaves for war. It is not something I ever imagined or wished for. What comes into my mind are all of the other times that I have said goodbye to you since you were born. In fact, the morning that you were born, once I heard you cry and saw you, I fell asleep, exhausted after 20 hours of labor. I said goodbye, but knew you were in the good, loving hands of nurses and your dad. It was only a few hours until you needed to be fed, and they brought you to me in my room. The hello was wonderful as I held you in my arms. Your first time away from home was when your dad and I were going to play pinochle with our friends, the Crawleys, Stites, and Tronzos. You stayed at your grandmother's. She took you out for a walk on a cold, clear night. She bundled you up, but you insisted on keeping your hands outside of the blanket. She said you were so quiet that she peeked into the bundle and found you wide awake staring at the full moon. We worried about you, but you and your grandmother did just fine without us. The goodbyes became easy after a while. Moving you into the dorm at Bellarmine was very difficult. It certainly was not the distance, because you were always very close. It was the fact that our job was done. You were who you were going to be, and while we would always support you and love you, it was time for you to face the world on your own. I cried all of the way home and several times that night. The house seemed empty and your dad and I felt a part of us was gone. But then the next night you came in the door all excited because those of you from Louisville were going to show the guys from out of town the new skate park. You said you were fine, retrieved what you needed, and left. It made all of the difference for us to know you were okay. And then there were the army goodbyes and hellos. Basic. It was so hard to say goodbye when you stopped by Bellarmine the day you left, but it was so great to see you, you seemed so much taller, after the graduation ceremony at Fort Jackson. And while all of those goodbyes were the hardest at that time, this is the most difficult goodbye. I will think about you and pray for you every day, as will all of my friends. I am so proud of your commitment to something bigger than yourself. I just wish there was no danger involved. I want you to promise me that you will share your feelings with those who can help you if you need to. I have dreaded this goodbye since you went into the Army, but I have decided to not focus on the goodbye, but on the hello when I will see you again next fall. I remember your grandfather, Joe Pike, said that when he arrived home in Louisville back from World War II, the first face he saw at the train station was his mother's. He said he never knew how she knew which train he would come in on, but she did, and she was there to meet him. Mothers are like that. We know we have to do the goodbyes, but we can't wait for the hellos. So here's to that hello next September. Stay safe. I love you, Mom. I'm Sarah Okun. I'm a docent at The Speed. I've been a docent for two years, and I'm a former teacher and art therapist. Dread, the day that comes too soon, when the baby becomes the almost adult. How can it be that the role you imagine for yourself as 24-7 parent 
is soon to change drastically to the recipient of a text, an email, or perhaps a phone call with a request for funds. I recall the days my children left for the college chapter of their lives. For me, it was the ending of an era which I never really anticipated. Rockwell's father image describes my sense of grief at this life change I didn't ask for. The son is all about being eager to find new challenges and move forward in his own directions. My 18 years of dedication was done. I was fortified by remembering this line from the prophet, Your children are not your children. They're the sons and daughters of life's longing for itself. They come through you, but not from you. You may give them your love, but not your thoughts, for they have their own thoughts. Khalil Gibran, the prophet. And in their leaving, I was given the gift of finding new roles and meaning in my own life. As my first grandchild makes the move to college next week, the circle continues in the next generation. The study for Breaking Home Ties will be on view at the Speed through November the 11th. So come on down and take a look at the drawing in person.